Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Come on up here, Amy. We're glad that you are here. And uh, it has been a good day already. I've just enjoyed the presence of the Lord. I want to pray right now. And Amy's going to give her testimony here in just a moment. But I want to pray for her as uh, we begin together. Father, right now we just thank you and praise you for being here. And I thank you right now for what you're going to do. And I know that Amy probably is a little stressed out right now. So I just pray your presence would be upon her and that she would just sense that your peace and your joy and your presence are here. And Lord, help us all to understand we all walk in this earth the same. There's none of us who are different, really. And our stories sound a little different, but we all have our days and our things. So Lord, right now, just bless her. Help her to know that you're here with her and give her your strength. And Lord, I pray that this testimony would impact people wherever they're at right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if I can do this holding it in, reading it. But Well, good morning, church. <clears throat> I thought this was something I could never do, but I felt when Pastor Mark asked me to do this that I needed to do this. And um, So here we go. Um, as a child, I always felt the presence of God. I didn't know why or understood who God really was, but I felt his presence. I wasn't raised in church. However, my sis- after my sister was born, when I was around 12, we would go intermittently to Ova Community Church and listen to John Kay preach. I can still hear him today. He had such a sweet nature about him, uh, but he could get really fired up if you weren't paying attention or he really wanted to, to feel like he needed to reach you. I can still see him slapping his knees and running back and forth across the front of the church. Um, when I think about my prayers, I can't really remember who taught me my prayers when I was little, but I think it was my mom because I remember hearing her pray sometimes different than the way I did, but I think she probably did. So from about the age of four, I remember I'd say my prayers every night when I went to bed, and I kind of had a scary bedroom. The traffic would go by and lights would shine across my bed at night, and it was really scary. So for a four-year-old, I thought those were monsters going to get me. So if I was scared or I just felt alone, I might say my prayers two or three times a night, and I'd have my little pink and blue and white striped baby blanket, which I had till third grade till my dad burned it. <clears throat> then I could sleep, and I felt safe. Um, then as an adolescent, I, I, I had a really good childhood in the early years. My parents worked really hard. Um, Dad was a guard at Pendleton Reformatory, and then he went on to be a guard at Western Electric where my mom worked. My mom thrived there as a union representative, and she worked really hard devoting a lot of her time to the executive board. Um, because they worked so hard, we were fortunate to get to travel every summer during their two-week shutdown. And... I have traveled all of the northern, southern, and western states. Um, They saved the eastern states for me after I left home. I think they thought that would be too much for me to see everywhere. But every weekend was spent with family. Either we were at my granny and Paul's, my aunt Sharon and Uncle Bill's. 
pardon me, our house or we would go to Brown County every weekend. I didn't see my parents a lot through the week. Um, when they came home, they were tired, so it's kind of a, a lonely week. But the weekends were great. Um, my granny would always fry chicken, and she made something she called hot ketchup, which was a cabbage dish. It's like It was really good. And cornbread and beans, and that's that was her meal. And my Aunt Sharon would make uh, really great green beans. I'm sorry. But she also made an Italian cream cake that I, I have the recipe for. <clears throat> and it's awesome. It's so good. I can't make it because I would eat the whole thing. Um, my mom always made barbecue chicken and scalloped potatoes. So everybody had their own little dishes. And every weekend we would go somewhere different. And we knew we were going to have really good food. But we, what was better than, than just having time together? We all had fun together. Those are the best memories I have of my life when I was little. I remember really long days playing with my cousins. We only had to come in when it was dark. In fact, my mom would say, get out of the house. I don't want to see you in here till the, till the, till, till it's dark. Don't even come to the door. Just go play. But that was good because we would, we would play. We would go all over the neighborhood. You didn't have to be scared. You could just go and ride your bikes everywhere. You could play. And we had so much fun. Um, life, life was really good then. And I never needed a lot of friends. I lived on a block with all boys, and they didn't want to play with me. You know, I was the only girl in the whole block, the whole three blocks. Um, but I never needed a lot of friends because I had my cousins, and we were all really close. And that's something I'm really thankful for now because my children are really close. And I know that someday, when Eric and I are gone, that that's going to continue, that they're going to at least show love to their children and they're going to be close cousins. As a teenager, though, I was really awkward. I, you know, late bloomer, I, I really lacked confidence. But in my school, I was just an average kid when I look around. Um, other than I didn't do drugs, I didn't smoke, I didn't cruise the streets like a lot of my friends did. Truthfully, I knew the consequences for mom and dad would be far worse than any fun I may have had in the moment. So it was not, it was never a consideration. And that's not a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to have friends over. I met people when I started 7th grade to 12th grade at Knightstown. It was in the high school. And I met lots of people, and I wanted to have friends over. But at that time, my mom was just really uncomfortable with people she didn't know. So um, the one time I had someone come over, that was quickly ended. And the only people I was allowed to have over were... Uh, friends of her friends and it worked out pretty good because two of them ended up being really good friends and one of them is my dear friend Michelle and we still even get together once a year and she lives in uh, North Carolina but we still we still talk and see each other and I was even named after her mother <clears throat> um, from about seventh grade till I graduated I suffered with depression um, I pretty much kept low-key I don't think I ever told anyone. I don't even know if I knew that's what it was called then. Um, I thought I was just a messed up kid. Um, I just know I was sad a lot, and I felt a lot of pain that I didn't really feel anyone else would understand. So I just put on a smile, and I act like nothing was wrong, and I just tried to make everybody else feel good, tried to be happy all the time. I was a fixer. <clears throat> I just know I was sad a lot, and I felt a lot of pain. 
And there were more days than not that I would contemplate suicide, even as a young kid. Um, as a senior on my way home from Newcastle, um, I took some classes there. I'd go half a day at Knightstown and half a day at Newcastle. Um, but on my way home, I'd be driving my dad's old truck, Betsy. And um, I'd see this one telephone pole, and I'd keep thinking, boy, today is the day. I'm going to drive into that pole, and this is just going to stop. And, and um, I would get going real fast. In fact, in that truck, I got a ticket for 99 miles an hour. And they told me, and that wasn't on a bad day. That was a good day. And they told me that if I had gone any faster, Dad would be picking me up at jail. And I never got in trouble, so that, that really scared me. But anyway, thankfully, before I hit that pole, I would change my mind. And then I'd think, why am I doing this? I, would, I, I just felt so disappointed and hurt and sad every time I'd have those thoughts. And then I think, this must be what God is feeling for me. He must be really disappointed and sad. I really didn't want to die. I just didn't know how to be happy. And I wanted the pain to stop. And then I would think, I haven't even lived yet. God has more for me than this. Well, he did. And this is when it gets a little easier for at least a little while. My first week at Ball State, I met Eric, although I was dating someone else who I thought was going to be the love of my life. I liked him all through high school. But the very first time I saw Eric, and I saw his eyes and his kind smile, he had the sweetest spirit. Well, the fact that he, he really smelled good, too. I never, I never, <laughs> never dated anybody that wore cologne, and he just smelled so good. <laughs> I knew Eric was for me. I thought to myself, well, I may never see him again, so I'm going to take the first step. And I asked him to come over for homemade stovetop pizza. I had just learned to make it from my aunt, and I thought, I am so good at this. I'm going to just floor him. He took me to the grocery store, bought everything. I made the pizza, and I burned it so bad. <laughs> but he ate it anyway, and he said it was good. And that, that was it for me. Before I knew it, we were definitely a couple. I was so thrilled. Here was this gorgeous guy who saw me, not just outside, but inside, and he liked me. Needless to say, my first time at Paul State only lasted six weeks. I went on to go two more times, and I finally graduated with my, my bachelor's in nursing, but it, it, it took me a while. I had to have kids first. But anyway, there was no time for homework the first time. There was only time for Eric, long walks, picnics, and country drives. I knew Eric and I were meant to be together. Despite my mother's dismay, she really put up a fight. I even got a spanking the night before I got married because I was, I was late coming home. By, I wasn't even late. I called and thought I was going to be late, and so I got it anyway. Um, she thought I was too young to get serious but I would quickly remind her that she married my daddy when she was 16, and I was 18. <clears throat> I can't remember who suggested it, but Eric and I started praying together. And every time we were together, we always prayed before we left. He had such a long drive to come and get me. Uh, when I left Ball State, he would drive to Knightstown, and then he would pick me up, and then he would drive me to Indianapolis because my mom made me go to work three days after I quit school. I was working in Western Electric then. And so he had a four-hour commute every day just to spend time with me. But we prayed every time we left. We prayed when we come home. And praying was important to us because we both wanted to find out who God was, and we wanted him in our lives. We wanted a different life. And I felt like for the first time it was really possible. So we're going to go forward a year. In 1979, we were married. 
it was really tough at first. I, I told him countless times, I didn't marry my daddy. You're not telling me what to do. And finally, after one little fit I had, he told me I better decide, do I want him or do I want to be by myself? And I knew that, that I better better straighten up. <clears throat> so we figured things out. Eric went on to get the first of four of his degrees. And in 1984, we moved to Boulder City, Nevada, just two months after his graduation with our little boy, Wesley, in tow. He was two. Once there, I found I was pregnant with Jesse. And that is in and itself a miracle because I was told a couple of different times that I could not have children. And I was on my second one. So that was that was awesome. Um, but what a change it was moving to Boulder City. It was on the other side of the mountain from Las Vegas. It was so different there. I remember my first trip into town, Eric was a police officer, and, and the, the city park was right in front of the police department, and there was all these guys out sitting in the park drinking beer. Well, you didn't do that in Indiana. That was against the law. And I remember just really taken back, thinking, I can't walk my son through here. This is no park. These these drunks out here carrying on. And and then we we didn't shop in Boulder City because it was too expensive, and we would go into Vegas to shop. Well, there, there was all the gambling and the ding, 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 and you just heard it all the time. And, and people dressed different. Just life was different, and it was faster. And I was just a kid. I was 22 with a baby, and, a, and I know how young that is now. But it was just, it was just too much. Um, things I considered sinful were really normal there at that time. It wasn't long before it became easy to lose sight of what God had planned for us. And we started living for ourselves, not for God. Um, after Nevada, and I am making this concise, believe it or not, because we've been married 39 years, and I'm kind of skipping a lot of things. But after Nevada, we moved back to Indiana, and we started coming here to First Church. And even though we were in church at the time, sin crept back into my life little by little. We would come and we would go, and we would come and we would go. And we might be gone for a few years, and we might come back and be regular for a while. But it seemed like one bad thing after another started happening um, from oh my goodness, different things, troubles that Eric had, um, death of Lindsay, um, death of my mom, bankruptcies, you know, from other problems. I mean, it was just really hard. And I was, I just felt like the devil was determined to see how bad he could make our lives and how bad he could get me to be. So instead of seeking God, like I had for all these years, I caved into sin and self-indulgence. I blamed everyone and everything for my undoing. I had been so hurt by many things and so angry and so mad at the world for all the injustices that I had believed had befallen me that I decided to separate myself from God. And when I say this, I'm not kidding. I literally imagined placing God in a closet in my heart and locking the door because I felt like if like almost like a kid. If I couldn't see him, he couldn't see me, and he wouldn't see all the things I did. <clears throat> I decided I didn't care what anyone thought of me. Um, I was going to do whatever came my way if it was I was interested in it, be it good or bad. Um, when I made this decision to live for myself and not for God, no matter what I did, all the pleasures of the heart, smoking, drinking, um, Jezebel, and if you think about um, that, that movie, uh, Steel Magnolias, that kind of comes to mind. But nothing gave me peace or joy. 
And all I felt was fear, being constantly scared, afraid, lonely. I felt shameful. I felt in the dark. I was lost. I was out of control. I felt unworthy and unlovable. I felt like I was a bad, a bad wife, a bad mother, a bad daughter, a bad friend. The list goes on and on because there was nothing good in me anymore. All that had been good. And I know God was in me from a little girl. And I shut him out. And everything was dark. And it was ugly. <clears throat> Yet through all these condemnations that I imposed on myself, I could feel God saying, I am still here. When I laid down at night, I could hear in my thoughts God saying, I still love you. I desire you every moment of your life. Despite all the altar calls, and you've seen me up here. You've seen me up here crying and people praying with me many times over the years. And all the admissions of guilt in my prayers to Jesus, I couldn't let go. I couldn't believe that I was worthy to be God's child again. I was so ashamed. Then we became a part of the connection group and also um, part of a ladies' prayer group. And each week, I started feeling God's presence more in my home, in my life, in my husband, in my marriage, in my thoughts, in my relationships with everybody. I decided to take a leap of faith, and I went to someone I wasn't sure I could trust, but I knew that that person loved the Lord with all of her heart. And I shared every sin I've ever done or I could think of doing or I could I didn't want to miss anything because I wanted my heart clear and I wanted to confess to another person. So the Lord knew I was serious and I wanted to give it to him. We prayed and we prayed for what seemed like hours. Well, I'm here to tell you that on that day and that was only a couple week, couple, three weeks ago. That my chains were broken. Amen. I was set free. Satan no longer has any power over me. I am a child of God, and now all those horrible self-deprecating thoughts that once consumed me are all replaced with thoughts of feeling of being loved, feeling free, feeling joy. I have been made new. I am clean. I have been forgiven. I am worthy. My faith is restored. I am alive. And God loves me. My passion for Jesus Christ grows every second in my soul. And I know that Satan never gives up. And he'll continue to seek me every chance he gets. However, Jesus never gives up either. And he and he alone has paid the price for me and all of you. I am blessed by his grace and forgiveness. So if you wonder why I'm thankful, I'm thankful for Jesus and his love for me. And I couldn't believe you played this song right before this because the song Reckless Love really says it best. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. So you give yourself away. So I thank you, Jesus, for leaving the 99 to find me and save me. That's why we're here. That's the whole point of having a church. That's why you give offerings. That's why we build buildings. We do all those things so that we can worship the Lord and He can change lives. And it's not just her life, but all of our lives. He is the reconciler. 
He's the one who reconciles us. That's, not, that's what we're talking about in this series of sermons is reconciliation and uh, bringing peace into our lives. I love that, that you mentioned it. It's brought peace into your life. That's what the message is this morning, it's peace on earth. Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, and thank you, Amy, for sharing that and for having the courage to do that. And I hope that that has sunk into your heart and uh, you listen to that. And I hope that God continues to use that to speak to hearts. And, and I'll talk more about that later on. But Luke chapter 2, verse 13, I want you to turn there. And it's an old scripture that you have heard a thousand times because uh, it's one of the Christmas scriptures, ones that we read at the Christmas time. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And I want you to hear that. On earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. That's the part I want you to hear. And then Romans chapter 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. We talk about peace. This week was the 77th anniversary of Pearl Harbor when the, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. I watched the movie over again. I don't know why I do that, but I did it. And, and I know it's got a lot of kind of cheesy, weird stuff in it. But it kind of tells a story that I want to share today. Rafe, the hero of the story, falls in love with this beautiful nurse, Evelyn. And he goes off to fight in the war in Great Britain and the Battle of Great Britain there. And he is shot down and presumed killed in action. And the nurse, Evelyn, is devastated. But she eventually finds love again in the arms of his best friend, Danny. And you all have seen that. And there's a tear, a rip in the relationship when Rafe suddenly isn't dead and comes home and finds his now best friend, Danny, and his best girl, Evelyn, together. It's a huge problem. It's not just a bump in the road. There's enmity, hostilities between Rafe and Danny that have to be solved. We begin this series called The Reconciliation Stories. We're looking at the reconciliation, the relationship between us and others, and more importantly, us and God. And how do you restore things that are broken? How do you restore that which has been torn? How do you restore back that which has been so messed up? How do you bring it back to what it was intended to be? See, we were created to be in a loving relationship with God. There was never a time when God said, you know, I don't want them around. He loved us and he created us to be in relationship with him. We were created to be in close, loving relationship with our fellow man. Right now, the stuff that we see going on, that is not God's plan. When we see men and men fighting men, women and men fighting all the other stuff, that is not God's plan. But the relationship has been broken. And the truth is, is God is not just a little hurt. See, a lot of times we say, well, I kind of messed up. Oh, well, it's not a, it's a little sin. That's not how it works. God is not just a little hurt. There is hostility. There is enmity. There is troubles between us and God. We have been torn away from him. There is a problem. We are on opposite sides of the battle lines with God. We are at war with God and all that is good. And we're created that way because of the sin of Adam and Eve. God, through Jesus' death and resurrection, though, has forgiven all of our sin. You need to understand this. He hasn't just 
forgiven our little bitty sin that we did, and oh well, it's not that big a deal. God has forgiven. He has restored. He has ripped out that which has been broken. He has fixed that tear. He has taken care of the hostilities between us. But the reality is, is that we need a lot more than just forgiveness. We need reconciliation. We need restoration. We need our hearts to be reconciled to God. We're forgiven. Oh, there's no doubt about that. God took care of every sin there is on the earth when he sent Jesus. That sin was taken care of. But there's an elephant in the room. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever have a friend, somebody that you had a problem with, someone that you loved and cared about, but now you had a problem, and so when you get together, you still love each other. You see them and you go, hi, how you doing? But there's an elephant in the room, and you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to deal with what happened way back here. Last week I said that we can oftentimes forgive someone, and we can be forgiven by someone of something, and you can actually say, I'm sorry, and, and please forgive, and they forgive, and everything but the relationship never seems to be restored back to what it was. You ever seen that happen, been in that? Yeah. You don't really have anything against them anymore. It's just that the friendship has been kind of messed up. That elephant in the room. We never deal with the issue of what happened. Now, God could have chosen to forgive the world, and he could have easily said the sentence of your sin is death, but I'm going to remove that and I'm going to forgive you and we're all going to be okay and I'm going to forgive sin. But I just got to tell you the truth. I'm not really interested in being in relationship with you anymore. God had the right to do that. He could easily say that right now. He could say, you know, I'm kind of getting tired of humans. I don't know. They don't seem to listen. They don't seem to care. They just keep going on doing their thing. They think they know more than I do. I just put sin, I just put humans on the side. But he doesn't choose to do that. God not only forgave us of our sins and of our disobedience, but he has restored and he has reconciled the relationship we had and, our tend and, and were intended to have with him. He has put it back together. He now is seeking not only to forgive you of sin, but he wants to be with you. He loves you. He loves me. We can be at peace with God and the good news is, and we can be at peace with each other. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely, rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So on the night of Jesus' birth, the scene is set. And I, wanna, I want to paint this picture for you. The baby Jesus is born in the stable, in the barn. He's out there in the barn, in whatever, the mess that's out there. And Luke chapter 2 gives us the account of all that happened. And Luke says that while that was going on, angels, an angel, an angel army or an angel choir, appeared to the lowliest of the lowly. He came to the shepherds who were the lowliest of the lowly, the ones that nobody knew or cared about. They just kind of stayed out in the field with sheep. And he comes to them and he declares to them, on earth, peace to men on whom his God's favor rests. The angels declared there was peace on earth. 
So my question this morning as we look at this is simply this. Whatever happened to peace? Where is our peace? You ever ask that question? I mean, do you really feel like the world's at peace right now? Last time I checked, there's been no peace since the birth of Jesus. Rome destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. The Crusades, revolutions, civil wars, two humongous world wars in the last century. I grew up during the Vietnam era. Some of you remember that time. I remember turning on the nightly news, my parents turning on the nightly news, and they had a KIA accounting. They counted how many soldiers of our nation were killed in action each night it ran. How many had died that day in Vietnam? 18 to 21-year-old men who were shot and killed in Vietnam. Seemed like far away until my cousin was one of them. In the lifetime of all of us who are present here today, how many years of real peace has there been in the United States alone? I mean, seriously, almost none. There's been very few years where we didn't have some sort of action going on somewhere that we were involved in. So what happened? I mean, did God really just intend for us to experience peace and reconciliation with Him and each other or not? Is real peace on this earth even possible? What did the angels mean when they declared peace on earth and goodwill to men? When Jesus was born, the nation of Israel was living in a time of Roman occupation. And I want you to understand this. Every day when they went out to work, every day when they went out to gather their food for the day, every time they went to the market, the Roman occupation soldiers were present. And every person who went out who was a Jew, they ran the risk of the Roman soldier coming up to them, taking his armor, throwing it on them and saying, you've got to carry this. And they were forced into labor for the Roman occupation army. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said, if you're forced to go one mile, go two. It's a direct reference to this Roman occupier who would force people to carry their armor or any load they were carrying. They could only force you to go one mile and then they had to let you go. That was the law. And Jesus was saying, hey, if they ask you to go one mile, go two. Show them that you aren't going to be intimidated. You're going to love them instead of being hateful. Well, there was an absence of conflict in Judea during that time. And, and there was, there was very little conflict because the Romans held a very strong hand and around the neck of, uh, of Israel during that time, there was no peace. There was no peace at all. For the shepherds who heard this announcement of peace on earth, their thoughts had to go to the end of the Roman occupation and a return to the power of the nation of Israel. But you know, that did not happen. 35 years or so, maybe 40 years after Jesus' death, there is a, a tremendously uh, violent event that takes place when the Jewish temple was destroyed and desecrated and torn down and the nation of Israel ceased to exist completely and ancient sacrificial Judaism ended forever that day. It was just as Jesus had prophesied. So what did the message from God sung by the angelic choir actually mean? Well, here's the deal. I don't believe that the message from God brought by the angel choir had anything to do with there being universal peace on earth this side of the second coming. I just don't. I don't think that any time before Christ's return, there will ever be a time when it will be just quiet, peaceful in all the nations, no matter what. The announcement was not that all war and strife would cease. Anyone 
had any struggles or strife this week with anyone. I, I mean, you know, you don't have to admit it out loud, but I see a lot of couples looking at each other funny right now. So, you know, I'm just guessing that someone might have had. I, I will admit it. I had some struggles this week. Strife and disagreement, even conflict, are all part of this fallen world we live in. And as long as we're alive, there will be human striving. It's just a fact. It was manifest early on when after the sin of Adam and Eve and their parents, Cain and Abel got together and Cain killed his brother Abel. And it's evident in our world right now, all around us. The announcement had everything to do with the fact that mankind, though, could finally find peace with their Creator. And I'm talk about that for just a minute. The announcement was that when we find peace with God, we can also find peace with each other. I love what Amy said because she talked about how God has given her peace. There's a peace in her soul. Something that she was missing, that she has found. There are some things we need to get. From the beginning of time, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, a war broke out between God and Satan, and we're involved in that war. Romans 8, 7 says the sinful man is hostile or at war with or to God. Again, the word enmity means hostilities or animosity, antagonism. There will be hostilities always between men and women. Can I get an amen? It's just going to happen. There's just no way that's not going to happen. We're just wired up way too different to always agree. There is always going to be hostilities between the creator and the creature. There's a rip, a tear in the relationship, and you can't fix it, try as we may. The rip, the tear, the hostilities between us are why we're at war and why we hate and kill. And it's because we are sinful and God is by nature holy. So we are at odds with each other. So when the angels came and announced peace on earth, they were announcing simply this, that finally a solution. There is a resolve to the situation of sin. It's been dealt with. There's a solution, a way to end the hostilities. Peace is possible. The enemy, the enmity between us, the hostilities between God and the creature, they haven't just been painted over. They haven't just been said, oh, well, it's not that big a deal. There has been a dealing with them. They have been taken care of. It has been removed. You ever have a difference between you and your spouse or you and a friend and you didn't want to deal with it? We talked about that a little bit earlier. You just want to ignore it, hope it'll go away. How's that work for you? You know? Oh, let's not talk about that. So we don't. Six weeks later, it's going to come back up again. And it's going to double in size. So let's not talk about it. Six weeks later, it comes up. Now it's quadrupled in size. It gets bigger. The troubles never go away because we don't want to deal with them. Inevitably, you will have to deal with the problem, the differences, and the hostilities. That is the good news I want to announce to you today. The hostilities, our sinful nature that comes between us and God and us and our fellow man as a solution. Peace on earth with God and our fellow man is possible through Jesus. God has, through Jesus Christ, come to earth to offer not just forgiveness, but reconciliation to us. God did not sweep the sin problem under the rug. He called it what it is. He said, it's sin. It's disobedience. You've chosen someone other than me. He went straight to the hostility and the one who started it and called it what it was. It was straight up disobedience and there was a price to pay. And the truth is, is you and I cannot pay that price. Well, we can go to God and say, I'm sorry, but that doesn't take care of it. We have nothing to offer to take care of it. There's no way to get rid of the problem. So he paid the price for our sins. 
He paid the price for us. During World War II, the fighting between the nations was intense. and Literally, literally millions of people died as a result of the war and the bombings and all the stuff that took place. It was awful. Horrific time to live in Germany. Horrific time to live in France and Russia and Eastern Europe and Africa and the South Pacific as the war raged in these theaters. The war raged over the different fronts for years and the reason was because of things like irreconcilable differences between U.S. and Japan over trade. The insanity of Adolf Hitler as he tried to impose his belief of moral and physical superiority of the Aryan race. Battles were fought and countries were destroyed and people literally died by the millions until the causes of the conflict could be resolved and removed. Finally, the emperor of Japan and Adolf Hitler uh, were removed. His Hitler killed himself and the war ended. The cause of hostilities, these egomaniacs had finally been removed, but there had to be a removal before there could be peace. And the removal of the enemy the removal of the hostilities between the nations had cost a terrible, terrible price. There's always a cost to conflict and hostility. Always. The war could never have been finished if we just swept the problem under the rug. British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain attempted to do that. He tried to just say, well, let's just all play nice with Mr. Hitler. Let's all just, let's just all get along. He tried to sweep it under the rug, but when Hitler began to move, when Hitler began his conquest of Eastern Europe and France and then finally was headed to Great Britain, something had to be done. The cause of hostility could no longer be ignored. It had to be removed. And if peace on earth were ever to become a reality for us, the quarrel between sin and God had to be resolved. You can't sweep sin under the rug. You can't pretend that it didn't happen. You can't just play nice and hope it goes away. I am sorry is not enough. I'm always sorry for things when it goes bad, aren't you? When something bad happens between you and someone else, don't you go, man, I'm sorry that ever happened. But that doesn't fix it, ever. Mankind had offended the righteous and holy nature of the Creator by siding with the enemy Satan back in the garden. And Satan had totally offended God in His holiness and it had to be dealt with. Sin has to be dealt with. Satan's power was to hold death over the head of all of God's creation. And he did it. He did it well. He walked around and held death over us and there was nothing we could do. We were going to die. It's the punishment for sin. Satan holds that terrible truth over heads all the time, but God did what had to be done. He sent one who was perfect, who was sinless, who knew nothing wrong, who was perfect in every way to be the sacrifice for sin, to take our place. And Jesus did just that. He died on a cross, and he dealt with the root problem, the root cause of the, pro of the conflict. He, Jesus, the perfect man, represented all of us was perfectly obedient, even unto death. His death paid the price for your sins and for mine. And for all men and women, for all the sin that has ever happened from the first one of Adam and Eve to the very last one that was committed just now, his death has paid the price in full for every sin. 
because he died and was perfect, the sentence of death has no power over Jesus. So he rose from the dead and he was seen by more than 500 eyewitnesses. The Bible says that. You know, when someone claims that they're going to die and then be resurrected in three days and then they pull it off, you need to listen to him. That's a good deal right there. And he did. And now because of his death and his resurrection, and because he's dealt with our sin, we have been reconciled to God. We're not just forgiven. We're back in his good graces. We're not just forgiven. He calls us friend. He now wants to spend time with you and me. The relationship with God has been restored. And the relationship with each other can now be restored. Because when we're right with God, then we can become right with each other. Now we can meet. Now we can discuss. We can talk about what went wrong and we can fix it because sin has been dealt with and we can find peace with each other. There's peace on earth. All we have to do is accept what's been done. But the problem is, it's just like what happened after World War II. In and around the little islands in Japan, there was some intense fighting during World War II and when the Allied troops came ashore, Many of the Japanese soldiers went underground and fought this guerrilla war. When the war ended and the hostilities were over and everything had been taken care of and peace was made, most were told and surrendered, but not all. Late into the end of last century, 1974 to be exact, there was a soldier in the jungles of the Philippines surviving, living off the jungles, fighting the war that had ended more than 20 years before. He was told the war was over. He didn't believe him. Finally, he had to have his commanding officer from 20 years before fly to the Philippines and talk to him and persuade him to surrender. The hostilities had been dealt with in 1945. The emperor of Japan had surrendered, but 30 years later, Mr. Onada was still living as though the war was still raging. I can tell you the truth. That's crazy. I mean, I think about that. What a waste of life. Oh, but that's what a lot of us are doing right now with Jesus. Jesus paid the price. Hostility with God and each other has been dealt with. Oh, Satan likes to act like he's not defeated, but he's defeated. He's defeated. Oh, yeah, once in a while he comes around to each individual and he whispers in your ear, but you're still going to die. You see, you need to turn around and laugh at him and say, oh, no. I may die here, but I'm alive forever. Sorry, Mr. Satan, you go die. Peace has been declared. All we have to do is surrender and accept the love of God shown to us by Jesus. But we fight on until death, continuing to fight on, continuing to struggle. I can tell you something. Hear me clear on this. It is not sin that will send anyone to hell. You need to get that in your mind. We've been told, oh, you go to hell because of sin. No. Sin will not send any of you to hell. And here's why. Because Jesus has already forgiven your sin. It's all taken care of. It was defeated on the cross. When he died on that cross and when he was resurrected, sin was broken. Sin is done. It's finished. You will never go to hell for your sin. You'll go to hell because you don't believe because you don't trust him. That's all it takes. You have to come to that place of believing and trusting him. So let me ask you, have you surrendered and said yes to God's offer of reconciliation? 
Have you believed him and trusted him? I'm not asking if you've tried to make peace by being good. I don't care whether you've been good or not. That isn't of any concern right now. Good will come with it because, you know, God is a moral God and he will show his morality to us and we'll follow him and whatever that is. But I'm asking you this. Have you made peace with him? I'm not asking if you tried to make peace by quitting something. I'm not asking you if you've made peace by going to church. Going to church is a good thing. I like it when you come to church. It's good to see a good crowd here this morning. But guess what? Going to church is of no value to you if you don't make peace with God, if you don't surrender. I'm not asking you if you tried to make peace with God by stopping swearing or keeping the Ten Commandments. I'm asking you this, have you become poor in spirit? What does that mean? That means have you come to the place where you recognize this battle between you and God and you are helpless to change it and there's nothing you can do and you realize that so you go down on your knees in front of a holy God and say, God, I messed it up and I surrender to you fully everything right now. I want all that you have. Forgive me. Make us right again. Restore our relationship. Are you so aware of your inability to fix what is wrong in your life that you've simply fallen on your knees? You know what? A lot of us fell on our knees a long time ago, but we're walking around right now like somehow, you know, I'm kind of a good person and God doesn't really think that of me. Can I tell you right now, there's not a person in this room who is not a rank, broken sinner that take away the grace of God for one second, they become a raving, crazy man. It's true. The only difference between us and those who go out and murder and kill is the grace of God. Don't even think you're that, because you're not. You're only forgiven. You're only restored to this relationship through Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you, have you become born spirit? Do you want peace with God more than you want your own way? See, here's the deal. God has done no wrong to any of us. God never did one thing wrong. He's perfect in every way. He loved us perfectly from the very beginning. We're the ones who messed it up. We're the ones who screwed it up. We're the ones who broke the relationship. But God chooses to come and to reconcile himself to us. He came, even though we couldn't come to him and said, look, I know you hurt my feelings. I know you, 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 you sinned. I know that there's a war going on between us. I know that I'm, there's a battle. But I'm willing, to, I'm willing to love you. I want to take care of that. I'll send someone to pay the price so that you can come back. And he has chosen to win us back. The question is this today. Will you accept it? Do you accept it? See, there's no other way. You say, well, I go to church. I'm I got to tell you, man, when I was a kid, I went to church every day. I mean, every time it opened. You know, some of you talk about that. I'm, I'm superior. You know, I'm serious. You know, I have no idea. You know, I mean, I didn't know everybody didn't go to church seven days a week. I thought everybody did. And I mean, my dad wasn't even the pastor. And I was in church all the time. And I needed it. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's the only way they were. I mean, I think my parents said, you know, the only way this kid's going to make it, got to get him in church every day. He's got to be there every day, you know. And, you know, just keep him in church and he'll be all right. You know, and I went to church. And see, I don't went to church. I went to Sunday school, you know. Back in those days, Sunday school was a big deal. And I had this thing they gave me. It said I was a member of the First Church of the Nazarene Sunday School. Yeah, and I wore that to church every week with my tie, my suit. We didn't go to church in jeans back then, you know. I got my jeans on today. I'm a lot more comfortable than I was back then, but I had to wear a tie. So I'd go to church and I had my little thing. And every year they'd add a little bar to that dude. And every year. Man, I'm telling you, the time I left First Church of the Nazarene in Anderson, Indiana, I had a, 
I had a bars down to my knees, man. I mean, I went to church. If anybody is going to go to heaven for going to church, I was it. Because, I mean, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We, we were in church all the time. And so, you know, I got all the credentials to say I should be right with God. But the problem was I wasn't. Dude, I wasn't. I struggled still. You know, there are days when I get filled up with me. This week, I'm confessing to you, I got filled up with me and I did it. And I said things. And God reminded me, what is wrong with you? You know, wake up. You know, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm so thankful that it's Him. He's the reconciler. He came, He reconciled me. You, me, we all need that. He's asking you right now, will you accept that? Will you be forgiven? Will you accept that? Will you be restored? Will you be reconciled? I've asked Nathan to come. He's going to lead us. And as he leads us today, I want you to ask that question. Have you really ever entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you ever come to that place where not where you've said, I'm sorry, or not where I go to church and so I'm okay. Or I prayed 25 years ago and everything's good. I'm asking you right now, today, right now. See, because I know something. I know that all of us, even us sanctified folks who claim to, to want everything God wants, I know that every day there is this temptation to pick up my own ego and to do my own thing. So I'll ask you a question. How long has it been since you said yes to I want I want what you have for me. I want it all. I want to be restored. I want to be reconciled to you right now. As Nathan leads us, will you accept what he wants for you? You know, it's a great place to pray at the altar. It's not a magic spot at all. It's just wooden benches. You know, I've seen kids walk on it. People get upset about that, but they shouldn't because they're just wooden benches and they're very tempting to walk on. It's kids. But I'm going to tell you something, a great place to pray. It's a great place to humble yourself and get on your knees and say, God, I need your help. I can't do this anymore by myself. I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. And every time I get in trouble, I can't do it by myself. I need that reconciliation. And I'm going to invite you to come and pray right now. We don't do this every week, but right now I just feel like this is where God wants you to be. And I think there's some of us that need to come and do that right now. Would you stand with me and as we sing, Join me here at the altar. Let's pray together. And you know what? You could be the best Christian in the whole world and you still need to be down here today just saying, oh God, I need your help right now. I just need you. It's for all of us. It's not just for one or two. It's for all of us right now. Jesus, help us right now. Come right now, Jesus. Come right now. We need your help right now, Lord. We just ask you to help us. Move us, Lord. Right now, if there's any of us that are walking around thinking we've got to figure it out, Lord, make us poor in spirit. Bring us to a place where we're ready to say, okay, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I want to be reconciled to you in Jesus' name.